2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: My first guest was one of the pilots on the world's most tracked flight when Aer Lingus EI9019 flew non-stop to China to collect life-saving equipment to help Irish frontline healthcare staff tackle COVID-19. He's from Garristown. He's on the line. Captain Brian O'Sullivan, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Gerrit.
3: Thank you so much for taking my call. I suppose I'm curious to ask you this. Did you volunteer? Were you chosen or were you press ganged?
4: Uh, It was a little bit of everything, Uh, to be honest. There were uh, a number of us working behind the scenes. Uh, We knew about it before everybody else did, uh, and uh, we were working behind the scenes and preparing the flight. It was a collaborative agreement between Aer Lingus and IALPA, and uh, we had the issue of having to fly the aircraft for, you know, uh, about 28 hours, and uh, it's unprecedented. You can't really do that inside the regulations. So we had to come up with a way of being able to do it, and uh, so there were a number of us working behind it and doing uh, some scientific studies on rest and how we'd be able to manage it without uh, getting tired and wanting to sleep, etc., and how we'd share and then the preparation as well for the flight uh, with, uh, you know, charting and uh, flight plans and everything else. So was, we had been working on it before. So obviously we were probably the natural uh, people to go on the first one, the pathfinder, to figure it all out and uh, to come back and report any issues that we had.
3: Mm, yes, trailblazers, history makers. There were five of you, five pilots in total. Now, the, the journey itself, what, 28 hours. Do Aerolingus fly any routes normally as long as that?
4: No, well, we were on duty uh, for 28 hours. So the flight on the way down was about 11 hours, I think 11 hours and two minutes. Uh, sorry, on the way down was about uh, 10 hours, and on the way back, 11 hours and two minutes. So we were actually flying for 21 hours. Right. And normally the max you can do is 16 hours. And then, of course, we were on the ground for six hours down there as well. So, you know, from the time we left Dublin, uh report for duty to the time we uh, returned back was about 28 hours. Okay. Yeah, so that's, it's kind of unusual. Um, and, of course, the five pilots then were required uh, to be able to do that one. and that's what we figured out. We needed five five pilots to be able to get adequate rest and, and stay alert so that, uh, you know, there were always two pilots who were uh, rested and alert throughout the duty.
3: Yeah, that's uh, it's reassuring to hear that, I'm sure, for everybody and for yourselves especially. Similar then, of course, to a Los Angeles flight for Aer Lingus time-wise.
4: Yeah, it'd be like going to Los Angeles and turning around and uh, waiting for six hours, turning around and coming back, yeah. yeah.
3: Now, when you make this flight, not normally flying to China and across different airspace, how did that work out?
4: Well, we did a lot of preparation uh, for it and uh, like we spoke to uh, some other airlines and uh, they shared their uh, notes with us and their procedures. So we were able to uh, tap into some of that. Uh, Dave Morrissey and myself had flown in China before uh, when um, with different operators. And I'd flown in Russia before with another operator. So we were a little bit familiar with the procedures and the airspace. And uh, having been there, albeit a long time ago, um, we were familiar with the procedures and the airspace and what we could expect there. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 got, uh, we, we uh, contacted uh, other airlines, uh, sister airlines within the group of IAG, and uh, we got some uh, help and advice from them as well.
3: When you touched down over there, you were involved in actually uh, the loading up of the aircraft while some of the others took rest. Is that the way you had it
4: planned? Yeah, well, the, the other guys were, were uh, the guys who were going to fly it back um, were resting. And uh, then I looked after uh, the emigration uh, and uh, the protocols that we had to follow over there and then uh, kind of oversaw The uh, loading of the aircraft uh, from inside, albeit like, you know, um, and uh, yeah, while they were resting. And then they, you know, of course, uh, they prepared then for uh, the return flight. So about an hour and a half before we were expected to depart, uh, they started to ready the aircraft then and prepare the aircraft for the departure. So they tried to get as much rest as they possibly could uh, on the turnaround.
3: Much turbulence on the way there or back? I will see a smooth flight each absolutely
4: way. Absolutely smooth sailing, clear skies. The weather, we said it ourselves, we couldn't have gotten any better weather. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, the weather conditions were superb. Uh, light winds as well, so that's why, yeah. The flight times, uh, we didn't have really, really strong headwinds uh, on the way back. It was a little bit longer, but normally you could expect it to be a bit longer than the 11 hours. But uh, no, we had perfect conditions. uh, And uh, in fact, uh, I took a rest then after we departed out of China um, for a couple of hours and then uh, went back into one of the seats as well to fly a little bit to share some of the workload with the guys on the way back as well. We all did. We rotated around. And uh, as as we felt good, we occupied a seat and flew.
3: It was an historic flight for sure. Were you conscious that it was one of the most tracked flights ever?
4: Well, discovered that in in uh, when we got to uh, Beijing, all right. Um, uh, kind of knew we knew the importance of the flight uh, from behind the scenes. You know, the HSE wanted the equipment uh, and wanted it as quickly as possible, and, and a lot of it. And uh, so we knew it was very important uh, on a personal level, and then. When we were departing, Dublin Air Traffic Control said something uh, and uh, kind of uh, focused in for us, uh, like that this was important to everybody and it was becoming kind of fairly public knowledge that the uh, flight was happening. And then on the turnaround in Beijing, uh, I had to send some emails back to the company and uh, all my WhatsApps and my texts and messages and my emails. And then, then I realised uh, how, how followed the flight was, uh, By people in Ireland in particular and even other places in the world but I mean uh, everybody was really supporting the flight and supporting us what we were doing and uh, it was great it was a great boost to be honest uh, a great help to keep going you know on the way back
3: You're flying since uh, 1981 when you became a a pilot Um, and being a pilot or this job was that something you wanted to do was it an ambition of yours from uh, childhood and when you were at school college etc
4: yeah, yeah, no. I, I started flying fairly young. I think I tried to get lessons when I was eight, and I course, discovered I was too short and way too young. But I started <laughs> flying uh, when I was about thirteen or fourteen, and then uh, I joined Air Lingus in nineteen eighty-eight. So it's it's always been a, a lifetime's dream for me. Like you know, and feel very fortunate to be doing something that I love to do.
3: And normally, what are your routes? You fly transatlantic to America, anywhere else?
4: Yeah, just mostly uh, the the USA. The A330 goes to America the most of the time. And occasionally we do Malaga flights. We do the first in the summer season, I think it is, uh, we do the early morning Malaga flight uh, down to Spain. um, And then the rest is all uh, mostly transatlantic, uh, all the USA destinations.
3: In all those years flying, you know yourself, flying for people is a, a big issue. Some people have never flown in their lives. Some get very nervous when they fly for others, well they just hop on and off. God knows what's going to happen uh, beyond this, Brian, but that's for another day. Being up in the air so much, in your career there, have you had any, you know, worrying times? or?
4: Uh, not really, no. Um, look, we're trained. To- deal with uh, everything that can happen, you know. I mean, I, I feel uh, more a danger driving into the airport. I've had more near ones on the roads than uh, I've never had a near one in an airplane like you know. So that puts it into perspective for you, like, you know, once I get to the airport, I'm safe. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love it. I know you're not too wrong there for sure. I'm well familiar with the roads around the airport and at times you are certainly taking your life into your hands. I suppose, like, just to finish out today, um, it is an uncertain time, isn't it, for you guys? and the industry in particular
4: yeah i mean I, I not just our industry i think you know um yeah it's worrying times um uh, for the industry i mean to have airplanes sitting on the ground you know they need to be moving to to uh to make money and to pay the bills and uh yeah it is but i mean like you know uh, the time will come and we'll all uh, go back to normal and and i you know i see our lingas being in a position to uh, return to profitability and to uh, to be able to operate again like you know uh Absolutely. Then Please we'll, we'll, we'll rise up out of this. Everyone,
3: absolutely. Everybody. And I just want to mention as well some of your colleagues. Eamon Ciarans I know from Drawhad, Aparic, King from Castle Bellingham and Joe Elliot from Ashbourne are all other guys here around the northeast who fly as well. Have they been on
4: these flights? They have. Each and every one of them have uh, done flights uh, already uh, to uh, Beijing. Yeah, absolutely. And they're all captains on the A330 and have done flights. Yeah.
3: Wonderful, wonderful! God, we're well represented, aren't we, for the little northeast corner of the country in the Air with Aer uh,
4: we absolutely now. they they'd be kind of uh, uh, locals. There are plenty of other people uh, who now uh, they haven't flown uh, to Beijing, but there would be plenty of other Lingus pilots living uh, in the northeast, all right. Uh, yeah. Popular spot. Are you are you due back, or what's the story from here on? Yeah, no, I'm flying next uh, week. Um, I think I'm going to New York. Uh, we're trying to f- share the flying around so that uh, we keep our pilots current. You know, you have to do a flight once in every 45 days and there's about 280 of us. So we have to try to keep uh, everybody uh, with our license current. So um, we have a bit of flexibility there and uh, we have enough people that continue to be qualified to be able to fly the aircraft. It's a bit good of
3: act, Yeah, yeah, but very important, I know, because that regulation has to be met and uh, it's good to keep everybody flying and uh, the fleet moving. Thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on making history.
4: Thank you very much, Jerry. It's been a pleasure.
3: Take care of yourself. That's Captain Brian O'Sullivan there, who was on that very first Aer Lingus flight and the most tracked flight ever, Aer Lingus EI 9019. Our laugh today, it comes from the wonderful Kevin Bridges, who's poking fun at Mr Donald Trump.
5: Donald Trump is the president of America. As a comedian, it's quite difficult to make that any funnier. (laughs) 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 It's how angry people got. He got elected because he speaks his mind. That's what his supporters admire about him. He speaks his mind. They say that as though that's a positive. Pubs are full of old guys. Who speak their mind. <laughs> but you don't encourage them. <laughs> you just let them speak for a few minutes and then you put a hand on their shoulder and you say, Enjoy your nightmare. <laughs> that is how Donald Trump should have been handled right from the offset. We're gonna we're gonna make America great again. Enjoy your nightmare. <laughs> That's the only reaction that man deserved. It's like listening to a fucking taxi driver. Everything Donald Trump has said, I have heard before from a Glasgow taxi driver. you immigrants? I'd build a wall. <laughs> and I'd make them pay for it. I can make them build it. I... <laughs> that door's no shot right, pal. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, global warming. It's a load of shite, mate. I don't believe it. Five pence for a plastic bag in these Asian shops. Where's that money going, eh? Where's that money gone? <laughs> oh, it's probably going to ISIS, driver. That's exactly where it's going, but See, guys like me and you, we get it, mate. We get it. <laughs> these high school shootings. You can give the teachers a gun. That's how you saw that, mate. <laughs> that was a Trump proposal to combat high school gun massacres, arm the teachers, that's fucking hilarious. The amount of unhinged lunatics who taught me, and that's only in Scotland. (laughs) Your old alcoholic woodwork teacher. Imagine that guy with a firearms license. (laughs) Hung over on a Monday morning. He's got a semi-automatic on his desk emptying a clip into the ceiling because somebody's whistling at the back of the class. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you again, (laughs) Webster! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sir. (laughs) I had teachers who never knew how to work a VHS recorder, never mind an assault rifle.
3: Yeah, the wonderful Kevin Bridges uh, with observations on Donald Trump. We met my next guest back in early February. She joined us with our partner. David Hopkins is our partner. She's Emma Lennon, and the odds were 200 million to one. Yes, she told us about expecting identical triplets, all girls, and she's back on the line. Hello, Emma.
6: Hi, Jerry. How are you?
3: I'm good. God, you're sounding bubbly for a woman who's getting near to D-Day.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's getting closer and closer now. We we expect to meet the little ladies now in about two weeks' time.
3: So you're that near at this stage. Well, fill us in since uh, the beginning of February. My, oh, my, I don't how many times have I said this to guests. The world has just turned about, hasn't it, for you especially?
6: Oh, we're living in a different time completely. Um, yeah, it's for us especially, we're having to deal with a whole lot more um, restrictions and stuff like that, visits and um, just... The hospital—they're keeping a great eye and stuff like that on the on the pregnancy, but the restrictions are very hard with the coronavirus now at the moment. I have to say. Mm,
3: you've been in and out of the Lourdes, where they're looking after you, the Lourdes Hospital in Drahada and you will deliver, of course, in the Rotunda when the time comes. Are you more anxious on a personal note with all that's happening?
6: 100%. I couldn't deny that I'm I'm distress the level there has been through the roof. I've been feeling very low on myself. If I'm being very honest. Over the last couple of weeks, um, the introduction of the restrictions and the maternity hospitals for fathers uh, forced meant that David wasn't going to be able to come to the NICU. Um, now, he can be there for the birth, but unfortunately, it's just mothers that are allowed to visit the NICU. Um, in all maternity hospitals, uh, the majority of maternity hospitals, as far as I'm aware, and then about a week later, maybe a week and a half later then, we we found out then that the mothers will only have between 15 to 30 minutes um, to visit their, their newborns in NICU as well. And the NICU obviously is the neonatal intensive care unit and their babies are expected to be there for a little while. They have a little journey ahead of them when they get there because they'll only be tiny when they're born, so they'll need plenty of help. So as you can imagine, it's absolutely heart wrenching. is the only way I can describe it really I've been a puddle of myself for the last while crying and you know hormonal stuff that pregnant people go through. So.
3: I know and you have all this concern and worry on top of it but the little ladies are doing well last call what weight were they?
6: Say that again Barry?
3: the little ladies are doing well we have to say but the last time you had an assessment what roughly weights are they do you know what weights they are at the moment
6: they're doing brilliant now at the moment now we had a scan there on tuesday in draughty that was our final time in draughty all the nurses i got to say goodbye to everybody up there because they all know us up there now as well so it was lovely to say pop in and say goodbye and thank you and that but we had our last appointment there and the biggest baby was two pounds ten pounds or two pound ten and then we have another little lady that's two pounds eight and then we have another little lady that's one fifteen so she's the smallest one
3: okay so you know quite a spread of averages there one a little behind perhaps but all doing well and everybody happy with them and you at this stage
6: uh, we've sailed along, and like literally, my pregnancy for me has gone amazingly. Now I can't stand. Um, I can't stand for a long period of time, any period of time really. I can't sit up straight. I'm having terrible pain with ribs um, with my ribs on the on the left side, and my back. And I'm just I'm growing at the right and not. So obviously my my skeleton is a bit under pressure trying to support all this extra weight and bump and everything that I've got going on. Um, but I have had a really good pregnancy. I can't complain, like even down to tiredness and stuff like that, I've been I've been I've been very lucky and everybody seems to be all the medical people are very happy with how uh, the, the girls are grown and and um and how how I've been uh, in pregnancy myself. So yeah, yeah, the only reason why they they want to deliver the girls actually we so I'm twenty eight weeks now at the moment, I mean twenty nine weeks on Sunday, so From 30 weeks onwards, then, from 30 weeks really is when we'd be expecting to deliver the girls. And it's only because, because it's such a rare pregnancy and they all share the same space and the same placenta, they're in competition for food. It just means that they're running out of space. So if they can't grow anymore, they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. If they haven't got space to continue to grow, then, you know? Yeah. So it's just better to be on the safe side to try and just get them all out and get everybody out happy instead of keeping them in for the sake of time's sake and then they have nowhere to grow.
3: Absolutely. Look, the the, uh, medical expertise and the care you're under is marvellous and uh, they'll guide you through this over the uh, coming days. So you know they'll be arriving shortly. Uh, I'm sure great excitement. What about big sister Casey? Uh, She's not going to get to see them, No.
6: She won't get to see them unfortunately. I was I, I knew though with the with NICU it is very it's a very secure place as it is because obviously the most vulnerable patients will be in there. Um and I knew that she wasn't going to be able to be in and seeing them, but I was hoping that maybe that she could see them from the door or she could see them from the screen or something, but of course that's all out the window now, um, with this with the COVID nineteen. But I have to say the one good thing that's after coming out of this is that the skills are closed. So it means that we get to have plenty of quality time with each other before the madness ensues. you know?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are silver linings in this, even though at times it's difficult to see them. I know. You have but look, to find it- them. Yes, you do. You have to go looking for them at times. That's absolutely right. Well, listen, I'm delighted that you're doing so well and they are too. So the day is approaching. They will be delivered. They'll go to the ICU, the NICU, as you say, and be cared for there. Uh, That's going to happen as a matter of course. And they'll be there uh, for needs be as long as they need to be. And you'll be in and out on a limited basis.
6: It's so exciting all the same, isn't it? It really is. I know. We can't wait, like, we really can't. And especially with everything that's going on and everybody's emotions are heightened and everything, you just kind of have to remind yourself at the end of the day that look at what you're getting over. You know, like, mm. you're going through a whole lot of a, an emotional roller coaster now. And yeah, I might be in the bed for 90% of the time and my mind is racing and my body can't keep up, but at the same time, it'll all be worth it at the end.
3: It certainly will. Final word before you leave us because I know you're concerned about this. You've been watching the news. I know you switch it off as well because it gets to at times. What do you want to say to people in general heading into this Easter weekend? And we're all facing a further restriction. We know that anyway. And you're in a vulnerable category. What would you like to say to people listening today?
6: Just really that, like, you, like, there's people obviously are not going to be online advertising the fact that they're going down to Deirdre's house for a glass of wine or whatever it is. Because the social aspect of it, people are, are giving out online, you know, and they're saying, what are you doing? And, you know, everybody's giving out. But realistically, it's the mentality of it. It's not if you go down the road to have a drink with somebody or if you're going down to drop an egg to somebody or something. It's, it, it's the mentality of it. It's still spreading it. It's the impact that it has on a family like ours. Like the restrictions that are in place are going to only be kept in place for as long as necessary. And they're going to be necessary for as long as people don't follow the rules. So the impact that it has on a family like ours is that my partner is not going to be able to to have that connection with his daughters on a daily basis because of the restrictions. And I don't think people really think about that. Like they think about their own little world, but really like it's 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 already having a huge impact on us and it's going mm. to continue to have an impact and it, it's it's the small it's the vulnerable it's it's outside of your own world that you need to think about it's other people that i think people are forgetting that they need to think of the other people that it affects it might need yes. to be affecting them directly but it's the likes of us it's the likes of someone's granny it's the likes of somebody who's already sick you know it really it's a really really worrying time for us and by everybody just down their bit, and it's not long. Like, just do it. Like, just follow the rules. Like, it's not going to be for a long time, and then we have forever to enjoy the rest of
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said, Emma Lennon. Wish yourself, David, uh, Casey, and all the family, and the wee girls who are about to arrive into this world all the very best. We'll be talking, I'm sure, in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for joining me, Emma.
6: Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Take care. Bye-bye. Emma Lennon there expecting identical triplets. My next guest on late lunch today is a sixth class student at Wilkinstown National School in Meath and she's on the line. Kyra Beckham, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for taking my call today. Hello to you Kyra. Now you've written this beautiful poem dedicated to the frontline staff and I know you're going to read it from me in a few moments time. Why did you write it Kyra? Well be-
7: when this all started a nurse Called Anne Keelan came into our school to just teach us about the virus and washing our hands and stuff. And then obviously the school closed, and um, we were listening to Leo Bradcard's speeches, and his line, um, Not all heroes wear Capes, just kind of stuck in my head. And I just kept thinking about that line and uh, Anne Keelan and all her workers who are doing such a great job, and I just put my thoughts into a poem.
3: Yes, and the poem is called Heroes at Home. Where did you get that title from?
7: Just because when you hear a hero, you expect Spider Man or Thor or someone, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a superhero to. Because they're saving lives, but they're not. They don't have to have superpowers to do it.
3: Ah, that's just brilliant. Well, a brilliant thought that is, and it just does crystallise or capture what they are doing. You're right, our healthcare people on the front line, all of them. Now, you have a talent for writing because you won an award back in January, yes? Yes. What was that for? What did you do to win it?
7: For the Ireland's own story competition. Uh, you had to write a short story and then they picked out the winners.
3: And you were a winner on in that competition with Ireland's Own. Congratulations to you. So you obviously uh, have a, a leaning towards writing. Is it something you'd like to do later in life as you grow up?
7: Yeah, maybe. Either that or I'd like to be a vet either.
3: Right. Excellent. Both excellent. Both fantastic past, uh, jobs and, and careers to follow either as an author or a writer or a vet either. So yeah, keeping your options open and you're a young girl and right you, you are to keep your options open. Are you missing school?
7: Kind of. I'm missing my friends and seeing the teachers every day and yeah, looking forward to go back. I hope we have to go back before I have to go into secondary school.
3: Yes, because you are in a key year, really, your final year in primary before you move into secondary school. And I know what you're saying. You'd love to see your friends again and and teachers. Hey, Kyra, I never thought I'd hear I'd hear a 12 year old 12 year old saying they'd be dying to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever think you'd be saying that yourself? No. (laughs) there you go. You see that little bit of time off and when you can't see your friends and you can't go to school, then you only realise what you're missing. Same as myself, I'm missing a lot too. I can tell you every day here as as I stay at home to work as well. But I'm grateful that I am able to work and be here, I have to say. Now, this poem is called Heroes at Home. Would you read it for me, please? Oh,
7: I'd love to.
3: Well, come on, let's have it. So let me introduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, on Late Lunch, LMFM radio, this Wednesday afternoon, on the eighth of April, twenty twenty, we have a star of the future. Miss Kyra Beckham, who goes to Wilkinstown National School, is going to read for us now her poem. It's called Heroes at Home. Away you go, Kyra.
7: They call it a pandemic, the worst since World War Two. A disease, a scam, a virus, and nobody has a clue. But when this beast so mighty landed on our shore, our little island had no choice but to go to war. The ones who are really saving us aren't the armies in their ranks; They're the nurses and the doctors, so in them we place our thanks. As we stand in supermarkets wondering what to buy, a nurse stands in a corridor waiting for the next person to die. They do battle on the front lines but without guns or tanks and we can never give enough gratitude or thanks. They throw themselves in the way of COVID-19 death They block and parry and prevent hundreds of lost breaths. War, a soldier's aim is to kill with a thrust, but health workers do the opposite, so and then we place our trust. Oh yes, we all think constantly about the day when peace will be restored, and we will remember 2020, the year our little island roared. We stand together but apart to say with all our heart, healthcare workers, you're providing a future for us to live, and so we say, Gaurav Mila Mahagwav.
3: Garamila, Mila Mahaguth, oh, ah, Kahaling, beautiful, Kyra, absolutely beautiful, and brilliantly put together, I have to say. You have a way with words, young woman. Do you know? You know that, don't you?
7: Thank you. Yeah.
3: You really do have a way with words. Obviously, you've done a little other writing as well. Have you other? You, you may have you other little short stories or poems as well that you've uh, put together and recent yeah, times?
7: Yeah, I have a yeah. little copybook full of poems and and short stories and stuff like that.
3: Very good. Well, if that is an example of the talent you have, it is simply fantastic. Tell me about your name, Kyra. C-A-I-R-A-H. It's a gorgeous name. I've never heard it before.
7: Well, my dad's from New Zealand, so that kind of Influenced it a little bit, I think, so...
3: I I see, so it'd be a common enough name in New Zealand and Beckham, hey, do you ever get much old chat about, you know the Beckhams yourself, don't you? Yeah. You're not related to them, are you?
7: No, that's the first (laughs) question everybody asks.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I knew, I knew it's one of those things you always get. Sometimes you should play along and say you are, you're a first cousin or something. (laughs) Do that, try it, have a little fun with it as well. I know you're not but you know what I mean, you could wind a few people up with that for sure. What do you think of the Beckhams just while I have you on? Have you any thoughts about them?
7: I'm not, um, my brother loves football so if he was, if people were comparing him with David Beckham I'd say he'd be happy enough.
3: Oh, indeed, and he would. What a comparison that would actually be, wouldn't it? It'd be fantastic. So tell us, yeah. what are you at? You know, I know you, you are composing, as we've heard brilliantly there. Uh, what, what else are 12 year olds and your friends, what are you doing to keep busy at this? Time? Are you doing any schoolwork or how do you fill in your day now?
7: Well, at the start of the day, every day, our teacher sends out work on Google Classroom. But now in the last week, since we'd be off at Easter holidays, we have no work. So I think we'd probably be, anyway, what we're doing is going outside a lot. I'm reading a good bit because I love reading. And um, I'm FaceTiming my best friend Katie every day as well.
3: Great. So 12-year-olds are using technology to keep in touch with each other. Yeah. Great. You see, that's the real benefits of it. Even though, as you know, there are a lot of things that uh, we worry about with social media. But at this time, it's really coming into its own to keep lots of people of all ages in contact. And it's wonderful yeah. to hear that. What about Easter coming up? Will you get an egg?
7: Um, I don't know.
3: <laughs> Would you like an egg? Yeah. What's your favourite egg?
7: Um, I think mini eggs or maybe Kit Kat.
3: Well, I'm going to tell you something. I know we're all in lockdown at the moment, but I'm going to get you an egg. Thank you. And we'll hold on to it for you and we'll try and get it to you sooner or later. But I want to give you an Easter egg because you're fantastic and your poem is an inspiration. Thank you it really is so i want to get an egg for you and give it just to you this easter so you definitely have one coming from lmfm radio for you this easter time kyra and look keep uh, doing what you're doing, uh, because it is wonderful and this will go, this will pass. You know that yourself and you're all doing great. All young people are doing their very best because it's tough times. I hope you get back to school to see your mates and that. I really do hope you get back uh, before closing, uh, which is what? It'd be the end of, it be into the end of June, what, or do you go July? End of June, is it normally? Yes, you're off in primary. Yes, yeah. um, where are you going? Just before we finish, where are you headed to in secondary school?
7: I'm going to O'Carrollyn Car- College,
3: Nother. Oh, school! So that's where your next stop is anyway. You'll be going there, please God, that will happen in September for sure. But anyway, look, I wish you well and I hope you get back to the school there in Wilkinstown. And I'll say hello yep. to your family and all your thank friends you. today. And thank you for joining me, Kyra.
7: Thank you.
3: Bye-bye, bye-bye. Isn't she wonderful? Wouldn't that just lift your old heart this Wednesday afternoon? To listen to a talented 12-year-old like that who wrote that wonderful poem. It's simply brilliant. It's moving. It's well thought out and well put together. And you just hear how they're getting on with it. And they want to go back to school. There you are, mammies and daddies and garers and minders out there. They want to go back, really. They're out of the routine and they'd love to be at school rather than being at home. Just shows you, doesn't it? It really just shows you uh, the way children are and what they're thinking of as well when they're knocked off kilter and that's something we should all consider it's tough on us it's tough on older folk it's tough on people who are not working look at the figures today we're heading for nearly a million people depending on the state a million people when you think about that it's huge isn't it but we must think of the younger ones and talk to them and let them know and reassure them and understand that their worlds are turned on its head as well at this time as well as the rest of us. That's very important to bear in mind. Well, did she or didn't she? Let's find out. Of cherubics fame, Carmel Dowdle is on the line. Hello, Carmel. (laughs) Hello, Terry, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good. Well, listen, I had to listen back to our conversation oh, did you? earlier. Oh, I did? At the start of Lent, and I have it all here sitting in front of me, the details. Okay. So, this is sort of the a leaving cert for you today. Okay. This is your final exam, okay? okay? So, let me begin. You said to me that you were going to give up watching daytime TV, did you? I did, yes.
1: Yeah, I did. And did I stay at it? I did. Yeah, really. Good. Um, I- um, when Thursday the 12th of March came along my son used to text me and say you have to watch the news this evening mum <laughs> because things would be happening in the world they knew I, were, I wasn't on oh yeah okay it's afternoon tea we're talking about this on TV I mean yeah okay no I didn't I, I stayed off the afternoon TV
3: good so you did that so that's one tick we give you an A grade on that she yeah. stayed off the daytime TV I know you did watch the news it's unavoidable you have to keep in touch yes. with the news of course now yes. you said to me also I'm giving up playing these games on my blinking phone, Jerry. And she said to me back then, this could be tough. Well, what's the outcome?
1: I haven't played one game. Wow! Not one, no. (laughs) Um, And many a time I was tempted and I thought, hang on a minute, you're really sticking to this girl. And I did. I really did. Well there You're you are, that's me it. I'm feel good now because I was feeling bad oh, about listen, things listen, I didn't
3: listen. stick with. I, I'm, I'm here <laughs> to make really you good. feel good. Your job, you make a lot of people feel good as well but I'm uh, reversing the roles here today. So that's yeah. an a nay and an a nay. Now I'm getting really worried because this could, I, I feel myself yeah. this was probably a big challenge for you. Yeah. You said that you were going to kick social media entirely for the duration of the holy season. What happened?
1: Yes, I would have. I off my social media until probably the tw- into the week of the 24th of um, March. So that was a month. I did stay off it for a month. Um, and the only reason I went back, I ac- a couple of times I hit it accidentally and then I jump out of it. It was like as if I had done something very naughty. i go <laughs> back out of it again. Because my business, you see, is attached to my personal Facebook page, which meant yeah. I had to go in for my business. I had to right. change the way I worked, right? So I'd suddenly everything went on Facebook, but I tried to stay away from my personal one, you know? But from about the 24th, I think I started hitting on my personal one. So but in, realistically, I don't think I've, I've gone in deliberately, only this week. This week, I've gone into my own Facebook affair.: so you know: do, what you're,
3: do you know what you're like? You're like? A youngster that comes into the teacher with a note that they wrote themselves, <laughs> signed by the mother or father. <laughs> to say <laughs> I couldn't do me homework because, because something happened. But you know what, Carmel, seriously, I'm only joking. The Covid hit and business reasons made you and you had to for very important reasons. So what I'm going to say is instead of sitting the Leaving Cert in this one, I'm your teacher doing the assessment <laughs> and I'm giving you an A on that. I'm oh, giving you. So that's AAA, the last one I wanted to ask you about. What
1: well, there, there was two more. There
3: was two more. Well, so well hold on, maybe, I, maybe yeah. I didn't listen to the whole thing. There was yeah. one more I want to go to is this. You were going to visit your neighbours more. Now, again, there's restrictions there at the moment. But you've done this, I believe, yeah?
7: I have.
1: And I actually, I was down with the same neighbour um, two hours ago because I baked again this morning. Every day I bake now, I, I go down to her with my fresh bacon and I leave her a little bag. She comes out and stands talking to me. I don't go in. She doesn't come out. She stays in her doorway. And I'm, I just left her about an hour and a half ago, Yeah. So yep, you've so done, done that. that,
3: you have yeah. done that and even with yeah. the restrictions you're continuing to do it. What did I miss? Oh my god, I'm a terrible teacher. What did, did? I miss?
1: Well I shouldn't tell you because I really broke it. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, what was it? I was doing what you did, I no sugar, remember?
3: <gasps> oh, I do remember now and should, that should have been the foremost in my mind. You, could you, 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 you couldn't get through, no, no.
1: I, I was off sugar for about three weeks. Right. Yeah, three weeks, and as I said, I think when Thursday the 12th of March hit, I drove home from work that day, and when I got home, I had a phone call from my daughter to say, my God, ma'am, what's happening? and uh, really and truly Jerry, I'll never forget Thursday the 12th of March um, from 1 o'clock I actually had no business none everything cancelling my phone was hopping 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 everything cancelled at that moment and let me tell you I don't know what I ate for the following week I think I ate anything that came in front of me <laughs> <laughs> so no I've definitely sugar went out the window on that day without a doubt Ah
7: well
3: look at this mitigating yeah. circumstances I'm going to give you a B on that I'm a 2 yeah. I'm, I'm an old soft teacher yeah. that's the trouble with me I'm too soft so that's four A's and be 600 Jesus you nearly got the 600 points in the leaving oh, sir. there you are for your Lenten oh, travails yes. Carmel well done to you I have to say well done and I just want to tell you I think I told you on the day I'd given up alcohol and crisps I love crisps I love an old yeah. packet of crisps in the evening yeah. I have come through with shining colours not a drop and not a crisp up to Good Friday so yeah. I'm going to see it through till Sunday now and to be honest with you Carmel you know what I'm going to tell you I ain't going to have a drink until things normalize again later on in the year, whenever that may be, and I can go to my local and have a pint, I'm gonna stay off until till then.
1: Yeah, and you know something, Jerry, now a bit like that myself. Uh, fair play to you. I, I I with this lovely weather even I say, Oh, I'll have a glass of wine. And yeah. then I go, No. Really? No. You know, you have to be Everything has to be good to enjoy a drink, and it's just not good this minute, sure, it's, it's not It's not,
3: right. absolutely, no, no. that is right. And I anyway. really enjoy
1: it too, when times, well maybe when the grandchildren can come back into the garden here yep. or something, we can have right. a little bit of a party, you know.
3: I love it, your thought yeah. process is absolutely brilliant. Will we be hearing you with the boys on the breakfast again shortly?
1: Oh, I'd say so.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we will, I'm sure we will. You're brilliant, you're brilliant. Carmel, well done to you, happy Easter. No
1: and the same to you, Jerry. thanks very much. We have
3: a jam-packed lineup for you as usual and I start today with a proud, loud man. He's Head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Minute University. I'm delighted to say hello again to Professor Paul Moyner. Hello Paul.
0: Hi Jerry. good to chat with you again.
3: Oh great to chat with you, out of sight, out of mind, but you get back into sight on the television last night and I was in like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was in like Flynn this morning when I saw you. (laughs) Reappearance. You are indeed. Hard to believe. I checked back, 2014 I think around the time we talked, maybe 15, so quite a few years have gone by. Paul, you're very welcome to the show and no better man to chat to us about COVID-19 this afternoon. Can I begin by asking you this? Despite all the advances in medicine and dealing with once fatal disease, diseases have we as mankind been caught on the been caught on the hop with this paul
0: i think it's sort of come from obviously it's, it's a virus that we haven't encountered uh, before jerry but that's not to say there have been related viruses so if you look at the name of the virus so so first of all if you're listening the covid-19 that's actually the disease that's caused by the virus and the virus that causes this disease is actually called that SARS coronavirus 2 or SARS-CoV-2 and the reason why it's called that is because it's related to the virus that caused SARS. And that was an outbreak back in two thousand and two, two thousand and three. And that stage Kerry, you know, there was a lot of concern that we were going to potentially end up with a situation like this. But it petered out pretty quickly. And one of the reasons why it petered out pretty quickly was that it tended to transmit only when somebody was symptomatic. So you would actually see the virus because you would see the symptoms in the person. Um, And it was possible to limit the spread. The really difficult thing about the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the one that causes COVID-19, is that it can transmit when somebody's pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic. So it's very difficult to see the virus. And if you can't see it, it's very difficult to contain the spread. And and a good example there is Italy. So in Italy, you know, there was obviously very high levels present in the country they weren't aware that that was present. And then when you lose control on it, it's very difficult to get it back under control. So in terms of being caught unawares, probably, Jerry, yes, I would say. Um, but related to we can certainly learn some of the things that we learned from the uh, SARS cor- coronavirus. But it's a big challenge, especially a big challenge in terms of containing its spread.
3: You talk about Italy being caught unawares or caught on the hop, so to speak, because of what you've just said. Let's talk about Ireland and what's happening here today and how we've tackled this. How are we doing in your book?
0: I think we're doing reasonably well, Gerry. I think we we, we had an advantage in the sense that if you look at this, it's this sort of spread from China and uh, spread westwards. So we could almost see an advance in terms of the spread of this virus, which give us some time to uh, prepare. Um, and really one of the key things in terms of coping with this virus, and as I've said, like trying to keep track of the virus, is around testing, because that's really our major tool in terms of finding out where the virus is. So in terms of testing and initially in terms of set up that testing, and I think the the aims of public health in Ireland i think there are they were ambitious and i think rightly so but we have run into some problems in terms of trying to really realize those objectives and try to get to the level of testing that is required obviously at community level i think there's been an enormous um um uh, buy in in terms of you know initially social distancing now in terms of isolation and eventually, essentially now we're in a lockdown situation there. So there's been incredible buy-in from the community and the country as a whole, but that needs to be supported and needs to be supported strongly by testing because it's my view, and I have sort of articulated this in a number of different media, I think it's on my view that testing is one of the main ways in which we're going to get out of this as well. So it's really, really important that we try to throw all the resources that we have behind testing and test as much as possible.
3: Now there's two aspects as you know to testing. There's testing for the virus and then there's this testing for antibodies. Will you explain which is more important or what would be should we be putting more emphasis on?
0: So Jerry, we actually we actually need both of them so the test when you talk when you hear about the testing now and each day the uh, HSE and the chief medical officer will report a number of positive cases so that type of test actually detects the presence of the virus so basically the sample is taken, so usually a nose or a throat swab, uh, and that material is then assessed for the presence of the virus. And the way that works is there's a test, it's called a PCR test, and it basically detects the presence of virus genes. So it detects, directly detects the presence of the virus. The really good thing about that, Jerry, is that it can pick up the virus very early on in infection, uh, which is a good thing. If you leave it too long, and this is of relevance in terms of delayed tests, if you leave it too long, maybe beyond... 10 days after infection, the virus can actually be cleared. So uh, if you test maybe after 10 days, you could actually get a negative uh, test result back, Mm. but you could have been infected prior to that. So that's the test, but the big advantage of that is in terms of trying to pick up early infection. And since the virus can be uh, transmitted asymptomatically or pre-symptomatically, it's really important to detect the virus uh, as early as possible. So that's really important. That's really the test that should be and is being used now. But superimposed on that, and you may have heard a lot of this, but it's an immediate, there's another type of testing, it's called serological testing, and that's based on detecting antibodies. So if you're exposed to a virus, around 10 days after you've been infected, you should be able to detect antibodies in your blood that will uh, recognise the virus. And there are various Tests now been uh, developed to be able to pick up the presence of those antibodies. So why would you want that over the first one? Well, first of all, it's really good for detection at later uh, stages of infection. But more importantly, if you've got the antibodies, not alone does it tell you that you've been exposed and you've been infected. It also tells you that you're probably immune because the fact that you've raised antibodies, there's a good chance that you're, you're now immune to the virus and that's really important that would be really very helpful for for example healthcare workers initially because if they're positive for the antibodies they're probably immune to the virus so they can probably return safely to work and I think over time certainly I've been proposing that the country probably should move to mass testing where in time everybody will be tested and in terms of return to work and lifting restrictions and lockdown I think testing would be really important in terms of that process.
3: So here's a simplistic layman's view on this. If somebody has antibodies in their system and they fought this off and they should be immune, can we not take some of that and give it to everybody?
0: We, we can in theory, Jerry, and that actually has been done in some cases of so very, very small studies where, so that's basically taking what's called the plasma. So we take like the liquid phase uh, from somebody, a convalescing patient, so somebody who has recovered from it. And we can actually isolate those antibodies and give them to somebody somebody else and in very small studies actually that has worked quite well so the, the challenge there is in terms of scaling that up and actually even in the laboratory can we make our own antibodies you know in the laboratory that we could uh, give to somebody so that type of immunity is called passive immunity so you're actually giving somebody the antibodies uh, against the, the uh, virus um, Active immunity is the immunity that if you're infected with the virus, your own immune system is activated and you generate immunity against it. So certainly that has been tried in very small numbers. There's larger trials going on now at the moment in relation to that. But you just need to be careful because some antibodies can have adverse effects as well. So it's really important in all of the tests. And there's something like 20, 20, I think the latest was yesterday I looked, there were 23 clinical trials ongoing at the moment. In terms of looking at new drugs, maybe some repurposed drugs, like you probably heard in the media about hydroxychloroquine, uh, Mm. looking at the potential for these drugs to treat uh, the viral infections. And then there's also five trials ongoing at the moment in relation to trying to generate a vaccine against the virus.
3: So that is good news now. I was mightily alarmed uh, as I heard you speak last evening about the current situation where everybody is being so good and I do encourage everybody to please do as we're asked again all the uh, things we should be doing and I will be mentioning those a little bit later on in the show but when you mentioned about the restrictions and I think I caught you saying that this could run till the end of May. Now, people have it in their minds, Paul. That right, Easter's coming. We are expecting an extension for sure, but to the yeah. end of May.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so first of all, Jerry, and probably when most people are asked, you know, the comment this, it's it's very difficult to be definite about because a lot, a lot of this, uh, these predictions are based on modelling. And even as as good as the, you know, the modelling uh, people are, it's very difficult to be absolute definite about this. My, my own sense in terms of looking, uh, and this is why it's so important in terms of why I've emphasised on testing so much, in terms of following how the transmission is progressing, it's really important that the data is up to date. So when we get positive cases, it would help enormously if that relates to positive cases in the last one to two days. But if it relates to you know, individuals from seven to 10 days ago, it doesn't really give us an up-to-date picture. So some of the data that really is up-to-date is obviously hospitalizations, ICU, uh, and deaths. If you begin to look at those curves, Jerry, pr- I'd probably expect to see sort of a leveling off now within the next week or so. But remember, in terms of getting to the top of that peak, what you've tried to do, and you've heard about this flattening of the curve, so it's not a very sharp peak, so what you do is you lower the peak and the reason why you lower the peak is to try to reduce the stress on hospitals because if that peak is very high, hospitals are just uh, drowned out and they just can't cope with the number uh, of patients coming in, especially in terms of ICU. So you want to lower that peak, but you flatten it out, which means it's a little bit broader. So you have to come down from that peak as well. So just because you've flattened off and you're becoming know, down from the peak doesn't mean that you can immediately lift the restrictions. So... You'd like to get to China where you're essentially getting no new cases per day. But I think that's probably going to take like a number of weeks and maybe up until around that time period. But the challenge then is that because there's so little immunity within the system, this virus will still be simmering there in the population so that when you lift the restrictions, you're probably going to get you know, a second peak at some stage. Now, you're hoping that some of the trials in terms of antivirals work. You're obviously trying to get that out to a stage where we have a vaccine um, to give you protection against a viral infection in the first place. So it has to be really, you know, tightly managed. And I think that's why, again, coming back to the testing. So as we lift restrictions, it's really important to get a stronghold and aggressively test and trace so that once you pick up positive cases, immediately go in there Trace track the people, their primary contacts, test them as well, I would say, um, and just to make sure the positive cases are isolated from the population for that isolation period of 14 days. And I think that would give us a good chance to suppress further spread of the infection, allow us to lift the restrictions and get us to the stage where we have a treatment or a vaccine.
3: So a lot done, a lot more to do and people need to be aware of this, that this is going to take a number of more weeks. There is no quick fix for this. But do you believe, Paul, just before we finish, that if we engage as we are and continue to do as we're told for as long as possible, that we will see the benefits down the road and as summer comes in and autumn, you know, things will really change for the better.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to emphasise that, Jerry. Like, it's 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 difficult, and absolutely I can appreciate, you know, difficulty for people, especially the elderly, in terms of sort of the isolation. But the one important thing is, and we know we can predict this, we're, we're definitely going to get out of this. And all of what we're doing now is the easiest way, even economically, would have been to, let's just say, let the virus move its way through the population. But the problem with that, Jerry, is we would absolutely have been swamped in terms of I mean, the number of deaths would have been enormous. So you saw that with Italy because they, they had a problem. They didn't realize that the problem. And then when they had the problem, they put in place various measures to try to reduce that. But you could see the absolute you know, loss of life was just tragic. So you, you just can't allow the virus to move in because the toll would be just so enormous. So these restrictions are absolutely essential. They're, they play an enormous part in terms of limiting the spread. And that superimposed with things like testing will definitely get us, uh, and we will get out of this, we will get out of this, but it's just a matter of trying to limit, you know, the the harm, the death, obviously, that results from this. So we're trying to limit that as much as possible. So absolutely you know in terms of the social distancing the isolation you know the hygiene in terms of good hand hygiene uh, and all of that absolutely essential and with all of that Jerry you know absolutely we we will get out of this
3: Paul it's good to hear really positive note to end on there and Paul if you don't mind we'll come back to you and um, you might keep us updated with what's happening in this country and around the world in terms of the search for a solution here over the coming weeks I'd really appreciate
0: that I'd be more than happy. Thanks,
3: Jerry. Thank you so much indeed. Lovely to talk to you. That's Professor Paul Moyna there, Head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Minute University.
2: Selling a little or a lot?